We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how we doing? The position that all Nets fans love to talk about. The <laughs> yes. It was a trending topic today on Twitter. I was part of that discussion. We're going to jump into the Nets big man position. Before we do that, quick reminder, you can find the Buzz on all streaming platforms. But Jack, who do we have registered as a big? Look, I don't want to be the one to discuss this, Nick, or, or, or reveal this, because I feel like I'll get attacked on Twitter. Like, I, I put it out there. You're the one that's done all these gorgeous templates, so I'll give you the honor of revealing who are the Nets bigs as of now. And that might include, look, it might include Ben Simmons, but we've already discussed him. But, yeah, l- let's just go through it. So we're going with Nick Claxton, Dayron Sharp, and Markeith Morris. And, obviously, Markeith is Markeith Morris! Markeith <laughs> Morris! Yeah! <laughs> Not your traditional five, but is going to spend a lot of time there for the Nets. And at best, he'll spend you know some time at the four, potentially in a night where injuries or something happen or it's the right matchup. But I'd envision him kind of as that small ball five like we discussed when he was first mentioned to signing to Brooklyn. Look, I and he said, you know, he doesn't feel totally comfortable with the five. It's not something that he's going to do, but you know, he'll do whatever the team wants of him. Obviously, he wants to get his contract guaranteed, so he's saying all the right things. I think people have made this comparison point before, and I decided to to look at it as well. Like the comparison point that you could make is that Marquise Morris could be a Mike Scott type next to Ben Simmons. That's yeah. not very a very high ceiling that we're asking from him. And I think that because we've also heard that Sean Mark say, as we discussed on on the Media Day episode and, and other previous episodes about. You know, Daron Sharp being given a chance and Nick Claxton, you know, obviously with the starting position, he's doing all, all the right things as well. You've got four guys that are going to play the center position. That's what it seems. You know, Nick Claxton play the majority of it. Daron Sharp, Ben Simmons, and Markeith Morris. I guess to start this off, Nick, you know, in a more general discussion, rank those four in terms of minutes played at the five that you think will happen this season. Um, that's a great question, Jack. Uh, I think we got a couple notes today from training camp, or maybe it was yesterday, that you know Ben likes playing the five, and Steve called him a five. Yeah, I'm going to go with Nick Claxton at number one, sure. and Ben at number two, and then Markeith, Markeith Morris, and then Dayron Sharp. And I'll, yeah, I'll probably get attacked for that, but I just think Markeith Morris will probably end up getting more minutes, and 
when he's if he's on the floor with Ben, who are we calling the five? You know what I mean? Because they're almost both kind of a five. Yeah, it's I think positional versatility, and we, we spoke about it a little bit with the guards and how there's sort of a lack of that to an extent because you know, the guys are pure shooting guards. Whereas with the wings, there is you know guys that could go from two to four, and in some cases when you got KD, you know could uh, pinch hit a little bit at the five. You know you could throw KD into to that sort of mix as well, Nick. But like you alluded to, you know because of the versatility and size and interchangeability of it, like what is basketball reference going to list these guys as? Is it the four or is it the five? And ultimately it doesn't really matter because the way that Steve Nash was speaking a little bit about today was talking about, you know, the schemes and the, the, the new sort of style of defense, all these sort of different things. But I would agree with you. You know, I think that's what is most likely to happen. I think that there are, there could be some teething issues with Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton playing together in a similar way that he's had before with, you know, Joel Embiid, Dwight Howard, you know, other bigs alongside him because Ben Simmons himself isn't a spacer, but those guys as a defensive force and those guys seem to be having some some good synergy, at least, you know, off the court this offseason, seem to be the Instagram best buds, um, that's for sure. So Working on free throws together in training camp. Which both of them definitely need to do. It'll be a discussion point um, when it comes to Nick Claxton a, a little bit later on, but... Yeah, I, I think that the the center position is one that's always going to be a talking point for Nets fans and us. And you know, there's guys that get brought up, whether it's you know Jakob Pertl, you know Mike Muscala, you know all these sort of guys that are just sort of pinch hitters. But let's see what they are going forward. And look, I I have some sense of optimism about it because I like small ball. I prioritize spacing over rim protection, all these sort of things. I think the Nets are an offensive team over a defensive team, so I care more about their offense and, and, and honing in on what makes their identity great rather than you know the sort of weaknesses that they might have. But I could very easily be wrong. I've been wrong about many a thing and been attacked for many a thing uh, before, and, and in a lot of cases, rightly so. So let's see if this pans out for a couple of months. And if you know there are some glaring issues in terms of rim protection, rebounding, I don't think rebounding is going to be a big issue, but I think rim protection could be then we go, all right, is Jakob Pertl a guy we're willing to give up Seth Curry or a pick or whatever else it might be for? Is Miles Turner, are we finally going to throw in the chips and Joe Harris to, to get that sort of guy? We'll wait and see. But are, are you in a similar approach to me, Nick, in terms of the, the wait and see approach? Let's see how this pans out, sense of optimism. Or are you somewhere in the middle? Where do you think about the Nets' general five position as it stands? Yeah, like you said, I I like small ball. I think <clears throat> with the right team and the the right offense, it makes sense. But at the end of the day, you're still going to need a guy that can match up with bigs in the playoffs. So you see what you have in Clax, you see what you have in Sharp. But at the end of the day, I think Sean Marks is ready to make a move at some point in you know December, January, or February to add uh, a veteran center. And you know Miles Turner obviously is a guy that seems like a great fit on paper. You know, obviously, how much do you have to give up to get him? You mentioned, you know, Jakob Pertl. I have some concerns potentially with the fit, but if the deal's right, you know, you pull the trigger. Or maybe you don't think you really need someone that bad. And like you said, maybe you go after like a Mike Muscala or more of a bench guy. Yeah, and and as it stands right now, Markeith Morris could be a Mike Muscala sort of type. I don't think he's a three-point shooter of Mike Muscala, but, you know, we're, we're talking about guys that are eight Six, seven, eight, you know, six is being probably generous, more like seven, eight, nine in the rotation. So I think that 
these guys will have an effect on the on the net success and because of the reverberating pieces around them. But let's see how it pans out. You know, Mark Gibb Morris not even be on this team going forward, despite the fact that you know he said some funny things about you know Kevin Durant and and, and the likes. But we'll see how it pans out, Nick. But I guess we should actually get into. I will say I think Marquise Morris will be on this team. I think he's kind of already found a role uh, as like a locker room guy. You know, Steve's already kind of talked about that. And I think Katie mentioned him a little bit in his presser. Then there was something Nets Daily tweeted about, you know, Katie wanting Marquise Morris. So it seems very likely he's on the team. And that's why I had him over minutes on Dayron Sharp, because if he's here, he's probably going to play some semblance of minutes. But I wouldn't be super surprised if Sharp came out and played awesome. But at the same time, I don't think I was super impressed with Sharp in summer league. Yeah, and Joe Sy, I'll repeat what I said on yep. the previous part about Joe Sy being a key indicator as well. And you, know, you don't know, don't normally see that from an owner. You know, it coming out and going, yeah, I really want to get this guy on a non-guaranteed <laughs> contract. I'm just like, okay, well, clearly there is a desire to have Marquise Morris there, and the impact that he could have behind the scenes in terms of leadership is worth the vet minimum you know, by itself. Could he be a Jeff Green sort of type? I think that's what a lot of Nets fans are hoping, and that's the role that I hope he will play. But we'll get into discussion about him you know, pretty soon. Exactly. All right, Jack, you want to jump into last season review for the guys that are returning? Yeah, look, I think Nick Claxton is the one I want to sort of focus on, Nick, because despite the unavailability for moments here and there, you you look to the most recent moment, and, and what he produced in the playoffs – I thought was pretty positive. Outside of the awful free throw shooting, his defense was good, his energy was good, and as a general offensive force outside of the free throw shooting, I thought he was okay as well. So we saw the growth from Nick Claxton. He got the contract that was, you know, I think is going to look pretty good for the Nets going forward, especially with the salary cap likely to go up with the, the new TV agreement and such. But there are still there is still lots of work to do for Clax in terms of his personal availability. He looks to be doing all the right things, or at least posting all the right things in the offseason in terms of free throws, little offensive maneuvers here and there. And you know, we saw I think a video of him today, you know, I can't remember who it was that dropped it. His free throw form isn't amazing, but he said himself that he was talking about, look, I had a different form every time I went to the line. As long as you've got a consistency in your form, that is at least something to fall back on. I sort of hark back to, I'm going to be making a lot of Geelong Cats comparisons for the next couple of days, given you know they won the premiership the, the other day. You look at guys like Tom Hawkins and Jeremy Cameron and Tyson Single. They have routines. And I think routines when it comes to more closed skills in sport, set shot kicking for the AFL, putting in golf, and free throw shooting uh, when it comes to the NBA, routines do matter. If they are shitty routines and they don't work, you need to th- throw it out, find some, find a biomechanist and some assistant coaches to go, okay, this works a little bit better for you. A guy like Giannis was putrid, you know, in terms of the free throw shooting that he sort of had. And then he's worked himself back up. Am I saying Nick Claxton is Giannis? No chance. But in saying that, there, it shows you that improvements can be made. Yeah, and it was reported that Steve Nash was, you know, very high on Claxton, the work he put in this summer, a level of professionalism and conditioning. And that's been an issue for Claxton in the past. You know, not necessarily being in the best shape, being winded, not able to handle minutes. You know, there was a incident, you know, two seasons ago where, you know, he went out reportedly in Miami for his birthday, ended up getting COVID, missing time, kind of hindered him for the end of the season. And I think 
the idea of Clax has always kind of been better than the production that we've seen on the court. It's for him to be consistent this year. You know, we always have these flashes of what this guy can be defensively. And even last year, there was some shine offensively, some, you know, better finishing inside, some good passes in the short row, obviously some bad passes as well. But there's signs of improvement. Now you just want to see him take that next step consistently across the board. So Clax has has a lot of potential. It's just a matter of putting it all together and We'll see what happens this year because the opportunity is there. And Jack, just touching on the playoffs, like you mentioned, I thought he was great. I think when we did our review of that uh, that series against Boston, Clax was really a guy that delivered above expectations other than the free throw shooting. Yeah, I think he was one of the only guys who was positive in, in the plus yep. minus. Try and go back and find that number. I, sh- I, sh- I really should keep a, a, be a bit more organized with some of the stats that I have to get. I'm, I'm a bit haphazard with it, but... I'll 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 wind on a little bit so I can try and find him while you have a bit of a discussion about it. But in he sh- do you think he should have played more minutes in because as Andre Drummond seemed to be the preferred choice and you know some we got we certainly ate our words in relation uh, to that. But uh, I thought the clacks in in what he showed <clears throat> it, it showed maturation and I think also a key moment for him the, the moments that stuck out other than the playoffs. Was the the matchup with Joel Embiid? I, I think that's something that really stuck out to me, and a lot of people are, are, are sort of discussing. Well, the Nets don't have a guy that can play on Joel Embiid. I'm like, well, they have a couple of guys that can sort of like pinch hit on him. The way yeah. that the Nets guarded Joel Embiid in that game, and they were incredibly motivated in in that regular season matchup. Sort of been uh, like to see that a bit more often in the regular season and postseason. I thought it was a, a bit of a blueprint. Clax wasn't, you know, he showed uh, some sturdy enough and uh, defense in terms of in, in the post, but he also just used his quickness and, yeah. and used his hand and used his length. So I think that's something, and he's looking stronger. You know, he's looking a little bit bigger. I just think that Clax, if he can grow in those defensive areas, because we know how much he relishes being out on the perimeter, you know, guarding a Damian Lillard or Luka Doncic or Trey Young, these sort of guys. But what is he going to do as what a traditional center does? The rebounding, the defense uh, in the post, all those sort of little things. They don't matter uh, in, to a great extent, but I think they matter individually in terms of Clax's overall you know, standing at, at, at the five. Yeah, I think at the very least, you have to be serviceable in a lot of those areas. You know what I mean? You know, you have to at least get a passing grade. And I think at times he's had a failing grade. But like you said, there was moments where he's been successful in post defense using, you know, his quickness and length and kind of jumping in front of them and, you know, forcing them to spots they don't by beating them to the spot. And obviously you mentioned him bulking up should really help his game. I think it'll help his game in the rebounding department, should help him finishing at the rim, and should just help him overall defensively. But again, like you said, he needs to prove to do some of the more traditional center things, and that's defending the post, that's rebounding consistently, that's you know dropping sometimes, that's providing great rim protection. So we'll see with Clax if he can take those necessary steps, but I think you and I have a lot of confidence that he can do that. Yeah, the numbers I ended up finding in Nick, the one that sort of sticks out the most is when Nick Claxton was on the floor, the Nets had a 117.8 defensive rating, which is not good. But when he was off, that ballooned to 124.8. So Nick Claxton, in terms of his defensive impact in the minutes that he played, you know, nearly a hundred in that postseason, it should have been closer to 120. If you're just looking at those numbers, because the Nets defense, they were, they were screaming out for any semblance of positive defensive impact. And, And Nick Claxton was probably the Nets best defender against the Celtics. Yeah. Yeah, Bruce Brown was okay in, in, in moments, but um, I, I liked Clax a lot against the, the Celtics. 
A hundred percent. You know, I think uh, he showed a lot in that series and obviously he needs to build off of that. And that's really the thing. You know, we all, like I said before, we see these flashes, these great stretches, and usually, you know, there's an injury. He ends up in the doghouse, doesn't get minutes or something like that. So this is kind of that prove it year for him, obviously. Nick, should we have a little bit of a discussion around Daron Sharp? Yeah, for sure. I think you look at Sharp, you know, obviously last year he also showed flash, flashes that he, you know, potentially was playable. Obviously a great rebounder, played with great energy, uh, was able to utilize his physicality at times. Other times it kind of hindered him because it got him in foul trouble. Uh, like I mentioned before, not super happy with his summer league. I thought I expected him to dominate a little bit more. So we'll see what steps he took this offseason to be a better player. And obviously it looks like he's even in better shape than what he was in summer league. Yeah, look, his conditioning is looking good. You know, I think he was asked about it, you know, during the the training camp sort of stuff. He's like, oh, I don't know. Like, and, I, and I'm cool with that. You know, you don't necessarily need to know, you know, James Hard's like, I lost 100 pounds, print that. Like, that's just some corny shit. Whereas Darren Shaw's like, I'm doing the work. Like, that's what matters to me. And look, in weight big- loss doesn't always mean the greatest thing because at the end of the day, you know, muscle weighs more than fat. So if you're building muscle, losing fat, you know what I mean? Like, the numbers aren't always going to, you know, showcase the back- best picture. Yeah, weight loss and weight gain. Like, you know, Anthony Davis put on, you know, some weight last year and had one of his worst seasons in a very long time. It's about, you know, just conditioning. Balance. And balance, yeah. So, look, there were some games that stuck out for – and, look, there was – he had a couple of games where, like, he was posting, like, 20 points, 10 points. He got a heap of rebounds. He had a double-double against the Pelicans. And the one thing that stuck out to me, Nick, more than anything, was his rebounding because when he was on the floor – then he was in the hundredth percentile for offensive rebounding, a twenty point three percent. So that's the percentage that the the Nets were able to get on missed field goals uh, on the opponent. So his offensive rebounding was insane. How important is that? You know, the de- defensive rebounding percentage was pretty good too, in the seventy seventh percentile, where the Nets were really bad. You know, they were the worst defensive rebounding team. So I think, as I've said about Dayron Sharp, he doesn't need to really grow in a lot of ways it, it's probably just the game now and the defensive sort of you know the, the communication the the non-fouling sort of thing but i think he can still have a really big impact in the minutes that he does have because he has an elite skill where the nets have a, a glaring hole i think that glaring hole has been filled somewhat with the additions that they made in voice o'neill joe harris being back ben simmons uh, etc but I think Daron Sharp in 10 to 15 minutes, you know, or, or maybe less, and depending on how many Markeith Morris does play, I think in the right matchups, I want to see, like I said in relation to Cam Thomas, you can copy and paste some of the things that I said on the guards preview. I want Daron Sharp to be given a shot because what is the point of, of having him on the roster if you're not going to see what he's got? And then if he doesn't have it, then cool. Then you can send him back to the G League, let him do the reps there where you can put up some monster performances, maybe hit the three ball a little bit more and really focus and hone in on his on his defense. But give him a chance. I want him to be given a chance. Yeah, I think he has a lot to prove probably in training camp and preseason. He'll have spurts. I think how I would probably utilize him would be just like short burst where you need maybe those energy boost games where because he plays with such high energy and effort and there'll be matchups that he's good for. And also Markeith Morris is an older guy. You know, he's going to miss games. Nick Claxton hasn't necessarily stayed healthy. So there's going to be opportunities for Dayron Sharp, even if he's not initially in the rotation. I think 
there'll just be times that pop up where he's going to play. And I think I'm looking for him to develop that three-point shot. I think that's going to be important for him as an offensive player in the NBA because his finishing at times can be a little questionable. You know, just being undersized, not having great verticality and getting up there for finishes. We've seen his shot get blocked numerous times. So I think developing there could really help him and find some balance to his game. And like you said, defensively is really the biggest step for him. You know, that's what's going to you know, earn him minutes on the floor. Because like you said, he is an elite rebounder. He's an elite offensive rebounder. And that can give you those extra possessions. And if he can hold his own defensively, you don't have a huge issue playing him. But if he's getting cooked or getting in foul trouble, now it's like, all right, you know, can we keep him on the floor just because he's a great rebounder? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Two questions I have for you, Nick, in regards to predicting and and thinking going forward about Daron Sharp. He played 32 games last season. He took seven three-pointers in those 32 games. One, do you think he will play 40 games, uh, over-under on 40 games? That, that's just a random number that came into my head. And over-under on, let's say, 33-point attempts. Yeah, I'll go over on the 40 games. I think there'll be a stretch where he has to maybe even start if Claxton's out. You know, And I expect, yep. sadly, Claxton will probably miss at least 10 games, knock on wood, hopefully nothing serious. And then there'll be matchups where you just want to play him. You know, you just and Markeith Morris might be out or who knows, you know, how the Nets decide. And maybe Dayron has an awesome training camp and finds his way in the rotation and Markeith Morris is playing behind him. Like that's not out of the realm of possibility. He's a young guy that does have talent and has great energy and effort. But uh, and in terms of the three point shot, Jack, what was the number you said? Uh, I said, I think 30. 
30. Um, let's go with the over. You know, I think. Hmm, actually, I don't know. Yeah. He took seven last year. So, like, it, it would have to be a, a marked jump. But in saying that, you know, we're seeing Clark take threes. We're, we're seeing sparing moments of Ben Simmons taking threes. Sharp will get think, den, uh, garbage time minutes, too. Like, he's a guy that's going to yeah. be in the garbage time lineup because he's a sophomore. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, when he hit, you know, two of those threes, you know, a lost lot of nets it. <laughs> lost it. And we loved it. So, look. You said it about David Duke Jr. We we had it in, in relation to a discussion about Cam Thomas as well. But you know this is a three point shooting league, and the Nets do have so much three point shooting elite players in in that department and in that skill. You know, Darren Sharp isn't necessarily going to do that, but he he said that in his in his warm ups and such, and you know when he was speaking to Mike Schmitz before heading into the draft, he improved his conditioning. He's continuing to do that. But at the same time, like you said, you know, how much do we take from the summer league, you know, lackluster performances? Maybe not a heap because you take things with a grain of salt. You know, Cam Thomas, you know, summer league MVP, but hasn't necessarily been able to show it consistently on the NBA stage, partly because of the situation, partly because of you know his general role and his general skill set. But because there are things that are more difficult as a, as a young center, normally we see the centers really grow into themselves you know, as, as they mature, as they, you know, get the, the feel and read of the game, because it's completely different to, to systems at high school and college. So it's rare you get, you know, a Joel MB that immediately makes a, a big mark and Anthony Davis, these sort of guys. It's, you know, it, it's, it's normally mid-20s that we see, you know, centers make uh, some form of an impact. You know, Clacks took a little bit longer. Jared Allen, these sort of guys, you know, they, they've had their moments and, and now, you know, you're looking at Jared Allen as an all-star caliber, an all-star, you know, at Cleveland in Cleveland. So, I I'm cautiously optimistic also uh, about Dayron Sharp because there's something there. You know, the the, the personality I'm, I'm a big fan of. Uh, I'm a big fan of King Sharp, and I just want big things for a lot of our young guys. Yeah, I think for Sharp too. Uh, I wouldn't be too concerned if he didn't have a, a huge season this year. I think you know, drafting him, he was raw. He needs to develop that three-point shot to really be probably more impactful offensively unless, you know, he increased his vertical a little bit more. So if Sharp doesn't have a great year, you know, we'll see what he does in next year's summer league. And then next year, I think there'd be more concern or you'd be more comfortable playing him just given he'll have another year to develop. And last year obviously was not a great season for the Nets in general and their player development probably wasn't necessarily great last season either. So this year he might be able to even learn more than what he was learning in, you know, last year with the whole drama situation and so many distractions. Yeah, look, anything on Markeith Morris last year, Nick, I think it was defined by that moment in Nikola Jokic where he was unfortunately forced to be out for a pretty extensive period. And now there's a lot of people that have their reservations around him, which, again, I understand. But, you know, he played 17 games last year, did play 61 the year before that. Actually looking at some of the, his games played, I, I, I understand some of those reservations. So let's go back to 2018-19, you know, played 15, 58 games, 19-20, uh, 58 games, 20-21, 61 games, and 17 games last year. Look, 60 games is is probably a mark where I'd, I'd want him to probably be a, more around that 65 mark. But as you alluded to, maybe that's where the opportunity for, for Darren Sharp sort of comes in. I guess I'll throw you another over-under as I pertain to um, – to Daniel Sharp earlier, over under 55 games for Markeith Morris this year is brought from there. Yeah, let's go with over. We'll go with like 
57 or 58. I don't think it'd be drastically over, but I think it'd probably be just over because it will be a small role. It's not like he's going to be logging a ton of minutes on this team. And again, like I said, I could easily see Sharp, you know, surpass him in minutes, even though I said, you know, Morris at number three. But it really depends on health and how the Nets lean into whatever style they decide to play. You know, it seems like they're going to play fast with a lot of pace and a lot of switching. That would make me think Markeith is going to probably have, you know, a bigger role than a traditional center. Yeah, looking at his minutes, you know, I'll go back, you know, a couple of years. You know, last season for Miami in, in very short amount of time, 17.5. For the Lakers in in that bubble championship, uh, 19.7. And then in 19, 20, 20.5. I guess I'll throw another over-under at you, Nick. Over-under 20 minutes per game for Marky Morris. Yeah, I think it'll be under. Okay. I think, um, you know, I, the way I see the center position kind of breaking down, you know, Maybe not every night, but on some nights it would be, you know, Clax getting probably, you know, 25 of his minutes there. Ben yep. probably getting about 10 minutes there. And then whatever's left will probably go to Markeith Morris. And I'm sure he'll spend some time on the floor with, you know, Ben and potentially Clax. Do you think it'll be closer to say like 15 than 20? So it's more likely to be like 17 than 18 yep. or 19? Yep. I probably would say 17 sounds about right to me. Sounds, sounds good. Uh, and any other, I guess, little things I've, got Markeith Morris's career shot chart in front of me because I wanted to sort of <laughs> people this is how deep we dive on, on the Brooklyn Buzz uh, ladies and gents Nicholas Op especially does some some really great work because I wanted to look at you know just the three-point shooting and the areas where he has been somewhat positive so look from the left corner he's he's 58 of 199 which is only 29.1 percent so keep him out of that left corner if we see Markeith Morris in that left corner uh, throughout the season you, it's not a good position the opposite corner is where he's, he's he hits a lot of them. 91 of 246, 37% from there. So that's where you want him to be if he's playing yep. alongside Ben Simmons or, or whoever else. Uh, just next to that, uh, the top right arc, 33%, 139 of 421. From the top of the arc is, is quite a nice number. 36.5% from the top of the arc, 155 of 425. From the top left arc, not as great, 34.8%. 161 of 463. So to sort of recap those just random numbers I threw on a podcast, the top of the arc is where uh, Markeith Morris looks good, as is the to- as is the um, the right corner. That's where you want Markeith Morris to be taking those threes. At least that's what the numbers tell us. And that could give you some pick and pop opportunities. Obviously, you typically run that at the top of the key. So that's a great opportunity. And like you said, you know, don't put them in the left corner, put them in the right corner. Um, his three-point shooting in his career obviously hasn't been elite, but it's been 34.1%, pretty- Nick, 607 of 1,782 in 707 games. I'm doing the big stats today, my friends. And I think you look at that as he's pretty much been a league average three-point shooter with a yeah. couple outlier seasons. And, you know, could he have a big season next to these stars? Potentially. We saw that happen a couple of years ago when James Harden was on the team. But obviously, Kyrie and KD have huge gravity. And also, we've talked about Ben creating threes at an extremely high rate. So there could be a chance he has a career year from three as well. So uh, I'm interested to see how he plays, how he looks coming off the injury what type of defense he's able to play, what his athleticism looks like, what's his movement at, because obviously the last couple seasons he hasn't necessarily looked the same, and you talked about it. He's dealt with a lot of injuries, you know, but pretty much during the prime of his career. You know, there's a point where he was the better twin, and then he kind of 
continued to decline where Marcus Morris continued to improve. Yeah, health is going to be the big thing for him. The, look, I'll say it again on this podcast, as I said it on the guards one, as I've said it on every single podcast pertaining to season previews for the Brooklyn Nets. Health and availability. You know, it doesn't matter if it's Markeith Morris, TJ Warren, Seth Curry, Joe Harris, Ben Simmons. You know, having our guys healthy is going to be really, really important. As as Nick has alluded to as well, depth does offset some of those worries. But in saying that, you want to have the competition for spots. You want to have you know the 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 best and fittest version of the Brooklyn Nets available because you know the NBA is as tight as it's ever been in terms of talent and it's as open as it's ever been given everything that's happening in in Boston and Phoenix and and the like. The Nets have a decent shot at really honing in on, on possibly winning a championship and everything that's being said. You know, we might discuss some other non you know media day sort of stuff going forward and probably next week we're going to do some more pods, some takeaways uh, from that. But the Nets and, and, and this big position, uh, in terms of obviously uh, uh, we normally rank it at, towards the end of the pod and we probably don't have to do that because we know this is obviously We already the pretty much determined that because we already did one and two. So Exactly. So this is obviously the third weakest position, Nick. But do you think that uh, – I'm trying to find a way to word this that makes it – do you think it is necessary that it needs to become better because – there are people out there, and I guess I'll just bring up my sort of tweet because we're doing the Markeith Morris talk, and I think it probably relates to to this discussion. I put out on my Twitter, who would you prefer as a backup big for the Nets? And I had Markeith Morris, Marcus Aldridge, and Demarcus Cousins. Nick, I'm not sure if you responded because I had a lot of I had way more responses than I thought this would get. In terms of those three, let's I guess make the case for for them individually, and then pick one. Do you want to start with, I guess, Marquis because we are discussing him? I and- want to start with Lamarcus, and I'll just say Take this. Note. And I, I, he's just washed. He's just, you know, I think, you know, his health is caught up to him. I mentioned this before. I think his hip is bad. You know, we saw him have that hip injury midseason. I know he's had hip surgery before. And after that, he just really wasn't able to move. And I just don't have great confidence in his movement ability, especially he just puts a lot of pressure on guards on this team to kind of help protect him. And there's a reason they didn't pull him out during the Boston series is they didn't have confidence in him. And I just, like I said, I don't think that he can move well enough to be counted on on a daily basis. He'd be more of like your 15th man backup center. If you really need to bring a true center in the game. Let's make the case for DeMarcus Cousins, because I I think a lot of people did, because I think someone actually, actually did say that LaMarcus Aldridge in my response, I was trying to find one person and one person did, um, there was a lot of responses. A lot of people were on the boogie bandwagon. Is there a – make the case for boogie, Nick. I'll, I can make the case as well because I've been somewhat on that bandwagon. I've been riding it, but, you know, I bought, I bought a ticket. You know, I got some discounts, used a, a bit of a Groupon code to, to get it on the bandwagon. What are your thoughts, I guess, on DeMarcus Cousins? Make the case for him or not, either way. Yeah, I think if you're making the case for him, it's you're looking at his offensive ability. You know, you're looking at what he can do with the ball. He can give you a post presence, occasionally knock down a three, obviously still has skill to his game, is a big body guy, Um, you know, decent rebound or not. I don't think he's elite anymore at that skill. And if I was, you know, going against DeMarcus Cousins, it would pretty much be his defense. You know, that'd be a huge factor. I think also has a history of getting technical fouls. There could be some concern how he would fit in the locker room. Obviously does have some relationships on the team. But overall, I think the biggest negative on him would just be, 
his lack of defensive ability. He had decent moments last year, but that's also because Denver plays a scheme where they don't have a super mobile center in Nikola Jokic. So it kind of fit well for him to be a backup where his skill set is not similar to a lot of the fives that the Nets will be playing. Even Dayron Sharp moves substantially better than DeMarcus Cousins. Yeah, and I think with the, the case for DeMarcus Cousins is the offensive ceiling. Yep. You know, and is he a three point, better three-point shooter than Mark F. Morris? Maybe, marginally. I don't think it's it's that big of a, a difference or a discrepancy. But just the talent alone is is what you're banking on. And I think he is a very talented player, and I think he will be picked up by someone. And that someone could be the Nets you know, come certain points of the season. You know, he's un- There is a reason why other teams haven't you know been clamoring after his services either. So I, I think that I'll, I'll make the, the case for him for, for those reasons. And also, I actually think he would be a good locker room fit. Because I think that when he's around, you know, guys like Kyrie and and KD, you know, they've got a history together with Team USA and such. I think that actually he would be a good fit, but obviously he's, he he can rub coaches the wrong way. And you know, how him and Steve Nash would get along would be certainly interesting. Uh, I think would be uh, to say the least, maybe even entertaining. Also, so there is a case for Demarcus Cousins, but I don't think there needs to be urgency to sign him, to sign Hassan Whiteside, these sort of guys because. What, how big is or Dwight Howard? How big is the discrepancy between you know Hassan Whiteside, like Demarcus Cousins, Dwight Howard, and Daron Sharp? You know, Daron Sharp. You know, we're, we're talking about you know the ceiling of of guys. You know, Daron Sharp has not reached it by any stretch of the imagination. Whereas the guys that we just listed are now veteran minimum role playing centers. That what that's maybe what the Nets do need. But let's see what we've got in in King Sharp before going out and sort of. You know, excusing him and going, nah, this isn't it. Let's, we need Demarcus Cousins. We need Dwight Howard. We need, look, I think Hassan White sort of Demarcus Cousins out of the guys, the truth of the three that I've listed would make the most sense. But there's probably other names out there as well that I'm not even thinking of. So do, I guess in, in that discussion, sort of, Nick, are any other sort of thoughts around, you know, Boogie versus Daron Sharp or, or, or those sort of guys? Yeah, I think uh, that your point of like them not being close to Sharp, even like that or them being around the same level of Sharp, you know, to an extent matters. But I think the biggest thing is there's always going to be a center around this level available. You know, these are all backup centers. They've been on the market for a while. They're probably all not going to get signed. There's going to be a couple buyout guys. So I wouldn't really stress over adding a guy like this until it gets later in the year and all of a sudden they're getting sucked up. But this is where the Nets need to figure out what they have at their own center position, what they need to add. You know, there's potentially a chance they might want to add two centers by the time the postseason starts. So it's really evaluating what you have in Clax, Sharp, and even Morris to an extent, because I think you probably have a better idea who he is. And if you need to add, you know, more traditional veteran size to this team. Yeah, I think that as fans, there is always a sense of urgency and 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 you know, needing something now, wanting something now. But I think when it comes to this center position, more than any other, let's just wait it out. Let's just see what we've yeah. got. Like with the wings, it's just like you know, there is a glut of guys. You know, there's Yuta Watanabe, there's Kessler Edwards on the fringe of the rotation. I want to see what those guys have got more than I want to have a Demarcus Cousins on, on the team. If that makes sense, Nick, am I 
No, oh, you make a hundred percent sense because the ceiling for a guy like that is higher than probably Demarcus Cousins for this season. You know, in terms yeah. of like, or at least long term, maybe Cousins could still, maybe he has more juice than I, I'm giving him credit for. But you know, if you hit on Utah now, all of a sudden you have a three and D role player that's very versatile, fits your style of basketball. You know, for this season, potentially sign him to another deal. Like that could probably have a greater impact in the postseason other than a guy like DeMarcus Cousins, who's probably not going to be able to play. You know, a lot of the centers you mentioned could get played off the floor. So for me, I'm just looking at the center market when the trade market opens. You know, when guys become trade eligible, who's available, you know, who's playing really poor, who's stepping up. You know, there could be a couple random names that pop in the market that's not necessarily anticipated, especially when you're looking at a team like Orlando. You know, what... Where do they want to move going forward? Are they trying to... Yeah, those sort of guys. Yeah, are they trying to gain an asset? Do they need to add a guard? Obviously, there's a ton of guards on this team. Do they want to try to you know make a play and push? There's just a lot of different variables that it's very hard to predict, and it's hard to know who's going to be there. So, uh, again, I agree with you, Jack. I think being patient is key. Do you see the Nets going down, not not to be reductive, but a semblance of a copycat route of, of teams like Boston, Golden State... Now, Kevon Looney is closer to being a Markeith Morris type than being a DeMarcus Cousins type in terms of like a true big and a true big sort of size. And do you think that is the correct route, at least at this early point in time, to be taken? Do you, there's there's the route of people that are like, we need to have a center, we need someone to guard, you know, Boogie, not Boogie, um, DeMarcus, Joel Embiid. (laughs) Joel Embiid, Nicole Jokic, these sort of guys, Anthony Davis in the post. Or do you see, like I alluded to earlier, when we discussed, you know, Joel Embiid, you know, against the the Nets earlier, that they they don't necessarily need to have that guy. It's sort of a an old school level of thinking. Where do you stand, I guess, with the Nets' philosophy at this stands at this point in time when it comes to that center position? Yeah, I think it wouldn't hurt to have, you know. A- a, a truer big, but again, you don't need a super offensively skilled guy like Kavon Ludi is able to fit his role. Obviously, ideally, when you have a center next to Ben, it'd be great if they could shoot threes. That's why there's been obviously so much attention on a guy like Miles Turner and maybe potentially some other names out there. So at the end of the day, I don't think they need to, you know, they don't need a great center. They just need someone who can kind of check the boxes for what they need for this specific team. Yeah. I mean, look, if the Sixers are the team that makes the finals and you're going up, four games, four to seven games against Joel Embiid, then maybe, you know, that's where it's just like, okay, well, having... And how many guys in the league can really stop Embiid or slow him down? You know, it has to get to a point of, like, are you just trying to scheme up to stop him in a different way completely? Yeah, and I think that that's what we sort of see with those dominant forces. It's, you know, Joel Embiid, it's Giannis Antetokounmpo. You know, those guys, the best defense in the NBA could not stop Giannis Antetokounmpo. Now, the Nets aren't going to be that, but... I think they have smart enough guys. Steve Nash seems to be saying all the right things about the schemes. But look, this is probably a, a wait and see proposition. You know, this is a, not an unanswerable question, but a, a question that is sort of like a, a, a TBC, like more yeah. so, like, you know, yes, no, maybe. Yeah, I think we just kind of see how it plays out. I think, like I said, there's a whole bunch of variables, especially with other teams and even, you know, two of the young centers on this team. But I guess just to quickly recap last season, Obviously, I think it was a disappointment, especially considering how many centers were on the roster and the lack of production and impact they were able to have at the end of the year and in the postseason. No, definitely. You know, this is a position that the Nets, you know, they had a glut. They they banked on you know Millsap, Lamarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, these sort of guys, and it was it, they banked on on the wrong guys. They banked yeah. on the wrong position. 
they all kind of busted out for them instead of you know hitting on any of them. But I guess Jack, looking at this group, give me their strengths. Look, I think this there's of because these players, all three of them are so different. You know, Markeith Morris is sort of you know I think his leadership and veteran now is is probably his two main strengths. The he's a tough guy. We know that. We know that Markeith Eminem. You know, we know you're a tough guy. And I think you know the sparing three point shooting. You know, the corner three point shooting and the top of the arc three point shooting especially the other two things that do stick out. And I think that, you know, he can be malleable enough in sort of pick and pop sort of situations as well. I think he's going to be similar to, you know, the Royce and Neil Joe Harris, the, these sort of guys that will just move the ball at the right times and be a good team player. When it comes to Clax, it's obviously his switchability. And I think the improvement of his little dinkers and dumpers around the post, and I was also impressed by the gross and growth in the mentality for rebounding, you know, and the desire for his rebounding and not necessarily being like, you know, a Steven Adams, I'm going to elbow the shit out of you and box the shit out of you like a Robin Lopez, but just jumping and just grabbing that thing when it, when it came off the, off the rim or off the glass. So that was something I was impressed with, with Clax and Darren Sharp, I think is just a, a big guy. He's re he's screening is good. I thought Clax's screening did improve as well, but it wasn't amazing. I think you could probably count as a, a more of a weakness, but Jalen Sharp is a, is a great screener and is a great rebounder. Yeah, Jack, I agree with everything that you said about the centers. They all kind of bring their own specialized skills. You know, we look at Clax, he brings the switchability, he brings the length, the athleticism, the quickness, you know, a different pace than a lot of centers. We've seen him, seen him kind of dust guys in transition at times with his speed. And then you look at Sharp, obviously the big body center, great rebounder, you know, good screener can physically move people out there and provide that level of physicality that the Nets desperately need at times. And obviously, Markeith Morris is the small ball five. He doesn't have the traditional center skills, but he's able to do more, more on the perimeter, more with the ball in his hand. So that's kind of where all those guys have their strengths. And I think overall as a group, especially with Clax and uh, Sharp, they bring good energy and even a level of toughness to this group, actually. This might probably be the toughest group on the team. You know, Clax, I think, like you mentioned, has brought a little bit of edge to his rebounding. Sharp, never afraid to push people. We saw him shove Joel Embiid a couple times last year. And then Markeith Morris obviously got himself injured pushing uh, Nikola Jokic. So that's where we're at with those guys. But what do you have for the weaknesses, Jack? I think the big weakness that sticks out, Nick, is the free throw shooting for Nick Clark. Yep. Because he's the one that's going to be playing you know, your key minutes. He's going to be a big defensive force. But he was really, really bad. I'll try and find those numbers quickly, probably when you respond and, and give your thoughts as well. But that is the thing that could determine him from playing 30-plus minutes or 15 to 25 minutes. Yeah, or it could be what prevents him from being on the, the court in the fourth quarter or closing games. Not to say that yeah. we anticipate him doing that, but that could be a huge factor, especially going into the postseason. So. He's got to get better on that. You know, you touched on a little bit. We saw some changes in his free throw shooting. Hopefully the repetition helps him, but it's going to be a factor. And obviously at a certain point, it becomes less of a physical thing. It becomes more of a mental thing. Look, it was for the season, you know, not too bad overall. You know, 58.1. You'd want that to be closer to the 65 sort of mark. That's the same sort of mark that I sort of said, you know, around Ben Simmons. But in terms of uh, against the Boston Celtics, let me find his free throw shooting. 18.2%, Nick. Yeah. I forgot how bad it was. It was it was unwatchable. Yeah, it essentially lost the Nets at least one game. You know, I think they lost a game by eight points. Clax missed. They like lost a lot of games by like really small margins. It was like 17, 18 points overall across the four games. And if you have Clax hitting 
three, four, five, six of those free throws, as you alluded to, the Nets win a couple of games, Nick. Yeah, and you don't even know if he's playing different, trying to avoid the free throw line. So that's a huge concern, obviously, him and Ben Simmons. That's been a major concern looking at this team going to the season. No, and I think that I was trying to find the, the sort of general stats on, on Claxton, his sort of his free throw rate, and I think it did go down in terms of his foul drawing. So I'll, I'll find it. Yeah, I've got it. So last year, he's – let me just take a look. So in, in 2021, 96% – it was in the 96th percentile in terms of the shots that he was fouled on. So 21.9%. He was in the 96th percentile um, in a, a couple of seasons ago. Last year, that went down to 16.5% of shots he was fouled on and the 77th percentile. So if you're looking at the numbers, it shows that he was less aggressive in terms of trying to draw contact. Or maybe it was the nature of the shots, or maybe it was a combination of both. Maybe the numbers don't tell the full story. But for me, I'm going to look at it at least, say, as one determining factor to be him being less aggressive and I think it's the same thing for Ben Simmons if those guys can just go down and yak it on him and not be afraid to go to the line because it look I'm not going to say they were afraid to go to the line but they weren't as aggressive as they should have been throughout portions of their career yeah I mean it definitely could be a concern for him I think some of the change is probably you know James Harden being here and not being here in that pick and roll game but at the same time it's hard to know. Obviously, there's a level of, of context that we'd see if we kind of reviewed that series. But again, it's it's more so, you know, he just needs to get better at it going to this season. And if he wants to be a player that, you know, plays a huge role in the postseason and closing games. Yeah, exactly. Uh, any other sort of weaknesses, Nick? I think Markeith Morris as a big, I think, is something that's worth discussing in terms of the weaknesses. I don't think he's a very good rebounder. And at that five position, if he's next to KD, I don't think KD is an amazing rebounder either. But if you have Markeith and Ben, I, well, Markeith, Ben and KD maybe, you know, Ben's going to have a lot of the brunt of the rebounding burn on him. And I think some of the rebounding that he does do is sort of just be big and let the ball come to him rather than sort of you know the athletic sort of stuff. So that could be an area of concern possibly because the Nets already were one of the worst, if not, I'm pretty sure, the worst defensive rebounding team last season. Yeah, I think, you know, that's always kind of a weakness of small ball fives. You know, that's just, you know, you're playing that lineup, you're giving up size. But like you said, if he's out there with the right group, it probably won't be as much of a negative, especially because I think he has enough size and height to him that he can at least put a body on some of the bigs out there where he might not be able to grab the board, but he can at least kind of help protect them, if that makes sense. No, and I think that's that's fair. So, Look, I, I think I'll be watching more of his, his box outs as Robin Lopez was doing during Nets Media Day than <laughs> actual rebounding. I think that if you see you know games where he's not getting a board or whatever, well, if Ben Simmons is getting 10 of them because he's boxing out for Ben so he can get out in transition, that's what matters more. It's sort of like, I'm not going to compare him to Stephen Adams because Stephen Adams is, I think, one of the more elite rebounders in the NBA over the last five seasons or so. But Steven Adams would just box out so Russell Westbrook could get, could get the ball and, and just run up and, and yak on guys. If he yeah. can do that for, for Ben, that's what I think is going to be positive. 100% agree. I think, you know, that's where you're looking at. And I think, again, with this group, the weaknesses, there's not really a complete center. You know, no one's really proven yet that they can be a positive on both ends of the floor consistently. And then, obviously, none of them are proven starting centers in the NBA. Not that that's the most important position, but you'd like to have somebody that you know has done it in the past consistently. Clax did it for a large chunk, you know, last year at different points and over the course of the last two years, but still not enough where you know what you're getting for fact. No, exactly. 
any other weaknesses, improvements needed before we get to probably a pretty easy prediction in terms of starter, bench player, and minutes? We already discussed even the minutes, actually. Yeah, I think it's really just consistency from this group, you know, consistently being good defensively. That's what we're really asking for them and being good on the boards. Offensive impact, you know, finishing rebound screening in a Markeith Morris's cases, um, Markeith Morris's case, you know, knocking down a couple threes here and there to have an impact on the perimeter. Yeah, as I alluded to with Clax, I'll, I'll sort of reiterate the things. It's the true center things that he needs to do better. Yep. He's screening, you know, I think he's some of his ghost screening last season was pretty good. And, and by ghost screening, he sort of just like slips the screen, you know, before he even does it. I think he needs to be just a better screener. You know, if he's playing alongside Ben Simmons, you know, both of those guys need to be better screeners. And I think that but it's a skill that I think gets underrated. But when you've got isolation superstars on this team and you've got a guy like TJ Warren, who's also has isolation superstar talent, then getting them open and just getting them some openings to hit a couple of their middies or, or a pull-up three, you know, a, a good screen, you know, does the world of good. And Damon Sharp isn't going to be playing enough minutes to get those minutes open. So I think Ben and Clax and Markeith to an extent too um, need to be pretty good in that department. Yeah, I think it's important to also be like searching for screens off ball, you know, making yourself part of the offensive attack, you know, not allowing your defender to take that step inside and help on a KD isolation or a Kyrie isolation, you know, making sure you're doing something and causing a level of stress for the for the uh, defense. Yeah, everything that a role player does and, and a yeah. big role player at that. Those high IQ role players, guys that are able to have an impact on the game without having, you know, a great three-point shot or a great offensive game they're able to kind of just do the small things and set other guys up and allow them to be more successful and that's really what the nets need out of this group they don't need anyone in this group to average you know 20 points per game they just need them to be solid and consistent are you saying the nets need quincy ac and reggie evans nick i do not i do not think they need those guys (laughs) it's almost funny how uh like reggie there's similarities to reggie evans and dayron sharp not physically but just like the rebounding mentality yeah, no, look, the throwback to basically when we started the buzz, and I, I think Quincy Acey was a guy that we discussed a, a lot on the podcast. Kenny had an obsession with playing him because he desperately wanted to play with the stretch five, and obviously Acey could knock uh, knock down a three ball at like below league average, so it never really worked out, and obviously he's no longer in the league for all the weaknesses in his game. Wasn't Quincy Acey number 13 as well, Nick, and Markeith Morris is number 13? Was mm, it 13? That's a great question. Honestly, I am not sure about that. I tried oh. to erase Quincy AC. Uh, 13 is correct, Jack. There we go. Look at me with mm. the weird numbers of old NBA, old, old Brooklyn Nets players. But we'll get back to the team that we actually have right now. And I think that we know that the roles on, on the team, Nick, you know, Clark Starter and Markeith and, and Daron Sharp, you know, coming off the bench. Yeah. And I think. Um, those guys will kind of be maybe more matchup dependent, you know, unless both of them play really well in training camp and Nash wants to play both of them. Um, I think it will depend on a nightly basis and on injuries and a whole bunch of different factors, how many minutes they play. It'll be intriguing to see how it does eventuate with the the sort of minutes. And we've discussed that a lot. We don't necessarily need to do the minutes because we already did discuss that when I was doing some over-unders. I tend to go a bit off rogue and off base when it comes to your templates, mate. I love them, but you know, I'm 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 an artist when it comes to podcasting. <laughs> you can't hold me down with structure, even though I'm the one that does a lot of doc Google Docs as well. But we'll get to the predictions on the season in terms of stats, Nick. Who who do you want to start with? Yeah, I think Nick Claxton's really the only one that I feel 
confident, I guess, in predicting. I think you look at something like 9.5 points and seven rebounds from Clax, and I'd be pretty happy with that. I'll go to, oh my gosh, his 2022-23 projection on basketball reference. This is insane. 15.1 points. Is it per 36, though, right? Oh, it's per 36. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Got Okay, good. That's much better. Um, <laughs> yeah, per 36, I think that'd, that'd be all right. Um, blocks, 1.9. Rebounds, 9.6. Free throw shooting, 2.1 or 3.5. So his free throw shooting is 58.8%. What do you... Th- his three-point shooting is not going to be 34.6%. Mm-hmm. So, Mr. Basketball Reference Man or and or woman and or they, that is just ain't happening. But the free throw shooting number, Nick, you know, outside of the the box numbers and the, the rebounding and such, is it going to be better than last season where he was at 58.1%? Yeah, maybe very, very small increase up to 60%, I think is probably likely. It seems like he's put a lot of work in this summer and – Free throws seem like something that if you work on, you could eventually become better at. And I think it wasn't like he was her. I don't think he was horrendous in college. So I'll look up those numbers. While I you mean, in, M- in the NBA, he has been bad, Nick. You yeah. Know, the season before. No, was he wasn't great in college either. So 64%. I think 60% is reasonable for him. What was he in college? Sorry. He was 64% his sophomore year and 52% his uh, freshman year. An overall average of 61%. Do you think that the peak for Clax from the line would be that 64% number? Yeah, I think maybe for his career, it'd probably be like 65 if he found a different yeah. shot that works for him. But I think this year, probably 60, 61 would be my hope. Six out of 10 ain't bad, Nick. It, it, it's, it's, it's better a than last over, year. <laughs> it's, it's a C over here in Australia when it comes to our grading system. It's like a fail for you guys. Yeah, isn't it? it's an F for us. Oh, that, uh, well, well, uh, as an Australian, I would be proud of him to to get a six out of ten and hit six of his ten free throws or sixty of a hundred of them. Um, there's no reason to do any other sort of stats in in relation to the the other guys, Nick. But I guess big questions um, that this this group has to answer. Obviously, no, but the, this group ranks third on the team. What are the questions? I think we've probably brought them up. It'll be rehashing some of the things that we've already discussed. Yeah, I think there's really one question for this group. Are they good enough? You know, is this group good enough to be a championship big man group? You know, do they what how many upgrades do they need to make? You know, how substantial of an upgrade do they need to make? Do they need, you know, a starting level guy, a backup level guy, a closing level guy? Do they need size? Do they need switchy? Do they need, you know, a stretch five? I think this is obviously the biggest question mark on the team in terms of positional groupings. And it's, you know, what can they do? You know, who are they? Yeah, I think that it's just going to be how important will they be for the Nets? You know, how impactful will they be for the Nets in, in general? Yeah, how big is the role? But, and it, it's it's going to be interesting to see. You know, I'm, I'm, Clax is, it, it could have the, the biggest impact, obviously, out of all these sort of guys. But it's going to be, you know, where is where how how much expansion is Clack City going to be having? You know, what yeah. is the the new infrastructure that we will see in that developing nation? Like, is there there going to be a free throw island? Is there going to be you know a, a post up defense sort of village? You know, th- those are the sort of things that we're going to be looking for Clack City. Yeah, is this the year that he finally locks in and becomes that you know great defensive player where he's having a huge? In- We've seen highlights and flashes of him being very good defensively and having an overall impact on that end, and then being good enough offensively to stay on the floor. So, can he do that this season? 
over the course of 60, 70 games in a starting role. Like there's, he pretty much out of anybody on the team would be who you anticipate potentially taking the biggest jump. That's uh, that's a big, big, that's a big thing. It's going to be a big thing for the Nets this season. And look, we just want the best things for all of our guys, you know, Clax, Mark, Heath, uh, and Sharp. But we'll see. This, 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 a lot of this discussion could be null and void when it comes to the, the Nets possibly making a trade. Is this the position, Nick, that you see most likely as being a trade? You know, we discussed would- the wing. We discussed the wings in relation to like Joe Harris and and him possibly being traded for Jeremy Grant last year. Do you think that it's more likely that the Nets trade for a solid center, Miles Turner S sort of type, or even like a fringe center, you know, fringe starting center like a Jakob Pertl, or do you think that they would rather go all in and improve on that wing position? What do you see as more likely given the guys that are available and given that the areas of need for the Nets. If TJ Warren is able to get healthy, I think the focus will be on the center position. If for whatever reason, TJ Warren is never able to get over that hurdle, which I think is still a level of a question mark. And obviously I wish him the best and hope he is 100% healthy, but he's been dealing with injuries for a long time now. So we you know, hope that he gets back on the court, but I don't think it's a guarantee he'll be able to get back on the court and play at the level that, you know, maybe we anticipate in the off season or, you know, play similar to what we saw last time. So that's going to be a huge factor, I think, in terms of additions to the roster. But at the very least, I think they add probably one guy by the end of you know February. Yeah, look, Yutsuda Watsanabe, he might have got dunked on by Ben Simmons during practice, but maybe he keeps his confidence up and he he improves enough. No, look, look we don't need to do Yutsuda Watsanabe talk, but I think that is a really pertinent point about TJ Warren and the fact that he is predicted to be back around November time is what we've heard. Seth Curry, you know, it has a chance to be back by the preseason, um, if not hopefully opening night. It could be a, a big determining factor. And I think every single NBA, general NBA podcast has spoken it about. Like, you know, TJ Warren could be the fight of the summer. He could be the, you know, the swing factor. And I think that the Nets took a, a, a calculated and willing risk. It's just going to be how many more risks is Sean Marks going to take and how many uh, the Nets have very few assets on their team in terms of contracts available. You know, when are they going to put some of those chips in if they decide to do so? And if it is a, a Miles Turner or whoever else it might be, we'll, we'll wait and see. We, we shall wait and see. Yeah, 100%. That's all you can do. Evaluate what you have. I think the Nets are in a good position to make potential trades at the deadline. Now, a couple picks available. And, you know, by the time the deadline comes around, there'll be other guys who are available to trade with new contracts. But, Jack, any final thoughts on the bigs? No, Nick. And somehow we said we would do like half an hour. And I still think we got probably closer to 45. Yeah, it might even be 60 minutes. But uh, (laughs) always a pleasure, Jack. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. Check the buzz on all stream platforms. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash blue wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.